You're very welcome to episode 26 of Folklore Fragments, which thankfully is back in the National Folklore Collection, broadcasting here in our hazmat suits. Um, hope the apocalypse is treating everybody well. But uh, today we are going to look at aspects of um, the cultural landscape, say, the, our culture born of nature, the cultural landscape born of the natural landscape and responses to the natural landscape. And I'm very glad in that regard to have my friend and colleague from the, from the NFC here, Abba van der Heide. Hello, good to see you. Today to talk about uh, so nearly two years worth of research on seals, seals and folk tradition. Yeah. And this is something that you've done for the Irish Seal Sanctuary? Yeah, so um, this collaboration was dreamed up before I came into the picture, but it's a collaboration between the Irish Seal Sanctuary, uh, the National Folklore Collection, and um, the School of Irish Celtic Studies and Folklore, UCD. And, that, and for your own background, like you, you teach in the School of Irish, don't you teach? Uh, I, I did, I used to. Um, and then you did the Masters, you were like the prototype Masters yes. round for the first of the Folklore yeah, Masters. Yeah, exactly, the little guinea pigs that came in first. Happy enough. And so, basically there's a huge amount of, of, of folk tradition which is really interesting regarding seals, mainly for our own interests as far as like the other world is concerned, the supernatural and beliefs and customs regarding seals, Absolutely. which we'll get into. Um, but then it's also kind of timely because for the second podcast of the series, the Heady Rays feature in episode six, we're talking about in fairy forts. It was in response to a quote in, in the, the, uh, by, by one of the, the government um, the TDs here who's talking about fairy forts. And again, um, the same TDs has mentioned uh, about the, the need for a cull of seals in Ireland, which um, evoked some strong responses and some strange responses. Actually, have a little news piece which i forget what the what the website i even took this from but i'll read this i don't know if you've seen this but this is like the the Ray is requesting that a seal call be initiated in ireland basically for to protect fishermen's livelihoods right mm -hmm. and this this uh, news piece goes as follows it says there are up to ten thousand gray seals and around five thousand harbor seals in ireland calls have been made for a cull of the protected species as fishermen claim they're impacting on their catch the irish wildlife trust says the issue is low fish stocks, overfishing and the destruction of the marine habitat, not the seals. <laughs> One culling license application has been approved this year and another relating to the Blasket Islands was refused as it's a special area of conservation. Three more are being considered. So they're going to be mm -hmm. um, slaughtering seals around the Blaskets. I have this. Okay. Yeah. Then the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage says it's currently examining a pilot scheme to cull seals using high-powered rifles on boats. This was the line yeah. that sent everybody athletic. <laughs> Licenses could be potentially granted in Kerry and Cork for individual problem seals. This is what I was also drinking, like <laughs> seals sitting on rocks, drinking hands, and smoking cigarettes. Individual problem seals to be sniped from afar. Independent Kerry TD Michael Healy Ray says, shooting the seals with high-powered rifles from boats is insane. I think we'd agree with him there. Yes, um, Take it your research on seals didn't involve you shooting them with high-powered rifles from boats or from the shore indeed? No, no, absolutely no way at all. Good. Um, but no, luckily. So you've been, for the last two years, you've been working on, with the Irish Seal Sanctuary to, to go through all of the archival holdings in the, here in the NFC mm -hmm. That's it. relating to seals in tradition. Yes, exactly. So I've been trawling through all of our archives to find everything and then the job landed to me to transcribe and then translate a lot of those things because a lot Irish. of them are in Irish. Yeah, I amazing. would say up to maybe 90%. Oh, really? The guest, yeah. but yeah. So it's more West Coast 
distribution than east? Yes, okay, absolutely. Right. And in particular, um, counties Kerry, Kerry. Uh, uh, Galway, Mayo and Donegal. Donegal. I know yeah. there's a lot in Kerry, some of the narratives that yes, we'll be looking at. Yes. Um, I suppose to, to start, like, there's, I suppose there's a good few articles that we're going to look at and go through. Um, but basically what we aim to do for this episode is to look at the relationship between mankind and the environment, essentially. So um, this is a subject of debate in the contemporary period with environmentalism and so on. Um, but it has been for, for quite a while. I'm going to read a, just a quote here from our, our colleague and our friend here at the, at the department, Barbara Nilin, um, in her amazing article in Islanders and Water Dwellers, uh, at her, her article on seals in Irish oral tradition. And in, in light of this kind of, I suppose, the question around the interaction of, of say, mankind and the environment, she writes, she says, different communities evolve different ways of viewing and of living with their natural surroundings in accordance with their various needs and value systems. Traditional societies have their own understanding of the order of things and the beliefs and narratives of such societies offer us an insight into the popular perceptions of the natural world and of mankind's place within the greater scheme. In this context, we might also remember that the discussion between the natural world and the supernatural is often a subjective one, determined largely by culture, which is a very interesting point, mm -hmm. that Absolutely. in some instances, there is no supernatural, there is only the natural, which is full of the fantastic, yes. say, or, the or different aspects of enchantment or whatever. But we wanted to, I suppose, look at loads of the research that you've, you've trawled through and, and, and gathered here from the archive, to look at how do seals feature in popular tradition what are some of the ideas around them? Um, how do they express themselves in different ways from the more practical concerns to the more otherworldly concerns? The idea that we'll look at in more detail, I suppose, that seals are, number one, enchanted people or mm -hmm. enchanted families. Yeah, comes up again um, and again. Or that they're people who can, who can shapeshift and so on. Uh, but we'll get through all that in turn. But to start maybe with some of the the mundane <laughs> practicalities before we move into the realms of baseless speculation and conjecture. They were used, they were hunted in Ireland, weren't they? Yes, absolutely. Um, they were very useful, apparently, according to some of our reports. So you could use oil taken from the blubber um, of seals um, for stiff joints, sprains, mm. um, pains in the bones are the most common things I think that come up. But apparently also it could be used for burns and even for problems with the lungs. Um, I think a man called Sean McHenry from County Mayo. Oh, John uh, Henry, yeah. Seamus yes. O'Cohan did an enormous amount of uh, exactly. collections from him, yeah. Yeah, this isn't uh, a piece from Seamus O'Cohan, actually. It's an mm. earlier uh, piece, but he says that you can give it to a cow if a cow was coughing as well. Mm. So, many. There is a very interesting piece for anyone on YouTube if you type in, I think it's like, Irish language monoglot or some weird title or something but it's it's Sean Henry Sean Henry ah, with Seamus yes. on the beach yeah actually another I remember uh, now that you mention it that was a BBC documentary and in it um Sean Henry he was an amazing storyteller and he's reci he's re reciting this uh, kind of a run which is like an item mm -hmm. in, a, in a narrative which is this very ornate kind of piece that describes um in this instance it's like warriors preparing a boat to set sail across the sea basically these old traditional formulas that were used in tales but i remember seamus saying that when they were there recording that there was some huge commotion in the sea or something behind them and they turned around and a seal came out of the water onto, oh, onto, wow. the, onto the beach yeah you yeah. don't see this seal looming behind them in the clip but um 
but John Henry, John Henry, Caru Haig, Caru Nglok and Northwest Mayo are amazing, amazing side of the world, really remote yeah, and beautiful place. Absolutely. So they, they, they were harvesting fur, oil, blubber and giving it to animals. Yes. What was it if, if the cow was ill? So if Egbo a mech kasacht or hit. Oh, kasacht or right? Yeah, if she had a cough. She had a cough, yeah. Cough. That's pleasant. <laughs> and then seal meat as well like is th- there's yeah so seal meat i find that some of the accounts are the accounts are quite split um some some say oh seal meat was only eaten in desperate times whereas others seem to have actually relished the the idea of seal meat uh, particularly as far as i'm aware the blasket islanders they were you, they were blasters yeah they? they were big fans if you look if anybody's familiar with um Laura Lecoq, um, yeah, yeah. by Peg Sayers there's a piece in there where she um, uh, she compares seal meat to pork I think she says it was lovely <laughs> Peg good woman there's actually there's a lot of the, the, one of the, the other practicalities regarding them that they've been long been held as the fisherman's enemy yes and this is what absolutely. ties into even the idea like that that now there are calls for seals to be to be cold or whatever mm-hmm. at, at the moment um, but that they used to often steal the catch from fishermen as, as they were out kind of yes. they were they would compete with them yeah. and um as if by magic here there's we have a piece from the archive from the sound archive this is from the urban folklore project so this was recorded in in dublin in 1980 and in it this is lyrics murphy you've heard this piece before yes i have yeah he's talking about um salmon fishing and he's describing the only time he ever ate salmon in all his days because he couldn't afford to because it was so expensive he had to sell it when you catch it but it was when a seal maimed it, basically, mm-hmm. and so he couldn't sell this this salmon. He ate it. But he talks about how smart they are and how they outwit the fishermen and kind of and uh, steal their catch. So this is lyrics, Murphy. And I only I I've killed slaughtered thousands of salmon, not exaggerating. And I only ate salmon once in my life, fresh salmon. Did you believe that? Why, you and you yeah, couldn't afford it. And the reason for that was the seal was after taking a lump out. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. And you have with oh lord, I've seen the seal taking two salmon. Almost down my hand one night. <laughs> he fucking pay. He was after them. He must have been chasing them, or maybe there was two seals. But as soon as he hit the net, he fucking he took. It. I was going for the salmon, and he took the blinking net and all down to the bottom of me. Where was this far up the river? Or was it in the estuary? That was in the pond, in Alexander Basin. That happened to me. I bought and went over to see the seal at me net, chopping hell's gates out. He chops the head off first. So I said that the back end will drop out. And when the back end dropped, the, the back end of the summer drops, he's down after he has it. Pretty cute. Pretty clever. Oh, that clever, yeah. And what seal was that? Was that the grey seal or the, the black seal? Ah, oh, the common grey seal. Yeah, yeah, the grey seal? Yeah, they're pretty numerous around here. They come from Lamb Bay Island and yeah. around the Bailey Lighthouse from the caves, you know. And is there any name for him other than the seal? Well, uh, in Rings End we call it the sail. The sail, yeah. The old sail took one on me last night. He always left a trademark. And he'd damage your net too, maybe. Smash a few maces of your net. I think he had his belly full that night. He was not being working good though. And uh, there was a big lump out of the salmon anyway. So you couldn't put it on the market. So we cut it up and eat it. It was the only time I remember ever eating salmon. So lyrics Murphy from Rings End they're talking about the seal or the sail stealing salmon. Um so 
I'm happy to brush the practicalities aside. Okay. And uh, race headlong into the world of Perfect. baseless speculation. Uh, no, it's, it's so it's worth. I suppose it's worth noting, like, um, the the practical uses. So, like you mentioned, oil and um, the the fat and meat and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but to focus really, what I'd like to do, I suppose, is to focus on seals and the supernatural, or seals and the otherworldly, and because they've been such an integral part of of kind of coastal life for so many generations it's no surprise really that there's so many different customs and traditions and narratives that exist around them the other thing that's worth noting around seals is that they're essentially they're liminal creatures they're they're mm. beings of kind of land and water and they don't fully belong to either element so there's a certain ambiguity around them and that i suppose attracts a lot of um, beliefs and associate otherworldly associations and folk tradition to, to the liminal in general um, and it's also worth noting as well that the type of material that we're going to look at here, as we see in all these different episodes, it's we have to frame it not just in a local context, but in an international context as well, because a lot of the customs that you see around seals and beliefs regarding them, although they're part and parcel of kind of coastal life in Ireland, you find them in the Baltic regions, mm-hmm. in the Nordic yeah. cultures, up in Scotland, Iceland, the Orkneys, Faroes, and so on. So there's a really wide spread distribution mm-hmm. for these these customs and beliefs. Um, and an international element basically so there's a piece i want to read here on the seal in the folklore of northern europe to just to basically before we get into it just to look at that the international uh what would you say background to this kind of corpus yeah. of beliefs basically and in this uh, martin Poovel is the author and he writes a large varied body of traditions ascribes human origin to the seal on the German Baltic island of Rügen, the animal has been believed to be descended from drowned human beings. With more on that and on. Concerning the same tradition in the Orkneys, it was reported in late in the last century that the belief that drowned people turn into seals is since a generation extinct. Um, so there's, I suppose, the general idea that's, that we see here is that there's, like I said, there's this, this kind of international component to it. Um, sim- similarly then, apart from the, 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 uh, the reference above, he goes on to note um, the same beliefs in, in Iceland. And he says, It is a little surprising that the common man in Iceland, to some extent, despises the breed of seals, and yet at the same time, in some measure, honours them. A fable or tradition devotes special attention to the breed of seals, regarding it as a, as a kind of human race called merfolk, living on the sea floor and possessing human shape under the familiar external seal hide. This hide they are said to discard occasionally when in fine weather they want to walk on the beach. Their women are said to have been caught and taken as wives. So this is also is something that we're going to see. Yes, we're, we're going to see that. again and again. So there's a few things that are being touched on internationally. There, first of all, the idea that um, that seals are actually enchanted humans, and that's something that you see time and again. It's almost an umbrella framework to a lot of the folk legends and even some of the anecdotes that we see. This kind of idea that seals are related to humans in some way. And why was why was that? Do you think what was the um, I presume, the reasoning behind it? Whatever. I I think that I mean we're such we're, we're very vain as people. We see ourselves in so many Project things. Check ourselves into yeah. the world around us. And so seals not only do they kind of have these big eyes and whiskers and very human like kind of faces, mm. um, but also people comment again and again on so many habits that they perceive as human, um. For instance, maybe I'll read, there's a short account here. It's actually from a diary of one of our uh, full-time 
collector, oh, cool. Michael J. Murphy. Yeah. And he's been collecting in Ballantoy and County Antrim. And he comments on the fact that uh, he hasn't gotten all that much about seal lore from Hugh O'Rourke, the informant he's collecting from. But that Hugh O'Rourke added at the end, he says, every night that ever shines, there's a seal that comes into that big hole. Uh, and he points out towards the, the sea. And he says, and it watches it, it washes itself. Hmm. We can hear the water splashing. Now, wouldn't you wonder at an odd thing like that? Hmm. You'd think he was clean enough in the sea all day without having to come to the big hole to wash himself. That's funny. You do see that t- time and again. There's all these like anecdotes ascribing human kind of behaviours. Mm-hmm. Did you read the one about um, there's a fisherman who sees two young seals fighting on some rocks? Yes. And then this other large mother seal comes and kind of slaps her in the head and breaks them up. Exactly. And then sends them away. Tells and the, them to yeah, and go. then the fishermen are kind of remarking on this, this the idea, I suppose, that they're like human behaviours, basically, that, I suppose, that, that like explain their existence in another way. Exactly. Or references to the fact that they have five fingers and they're flippers, yes. that it's like a yeah. hand or whatever. And of course, that worked the other way because you could also have people that would have a slight webbing mm. uh, between the fingers and the toes. And Which that explained that they were like the yeah, seal seal people. Exactly. We have look at that the different families. Yeah. There's another. There's a quote around this from from Barbara and the Lynn because you have to look at I suppose the whole, I suppose the different. There's like a certain sympathetic attitude to them, even if like the way lyrics Murphy is describing, not even an ambivalent attitude, but quite a negative attitude because mm-hmm. you're kind of competing with them. But Barbara writes that supernatural beliefs regarding seals could be said to exist for a number of different reasons, operating at various levels and in different ways, with each acting as a reinforcement to the whole. These reasons range from the psychological to the geographical to the etiological and can each be seen as contributory factors to the richness of the overall body of belief. Which is a great point, Barrett, to see that there's a whole landscape, a corpus of belief that links into the natural landscape mm-hmm. to, to how that landscape came to exist, whatever, that it tries to explain it in practical terms and then in these, um, I suppose, in another worldly way as well. There's a reference in that, um, the article by Martin Poovel about um, drowned people and, yes. and seals. And that's something that we see in, in the north of Ireland. Yes, it? it's something that I haven't come across it all that often, apart from in connection with Rathlin Island. Um, or even just on the mainland. Rathlin Island is, that for Island. is on, off the Antrim coast, off the coast of Body Castle in, yes. in Northern Ireland, exactly. just within striking distance of Scotland. <laughs> Pretty much exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I've come across uh, a couple, one or two references that say that um, the dead come back as seals, particularly as fishermen that have been drowned. Um, and maybe I'll read a quick extract that Linda Ballard has included in her article. article yeah. It's, yeah, it is a wonderful article. It's on um, seal, seal belief in or on Rathlin Island. Mm-hmm. And she has a quote from a storyteller who says, um, it's said that the dead come back, uh, used to come back, and especially fishermen used to come back as seals, uh, depending on what kind of life you led. You, could, you would come back as a seal or as a bird. Um, it wasn't so good to come back as a seal, but mm. I think better to come back as a seagull. But she, ha- she has another reference, isn't she, about like this idea. And also it's interesting for us as well to see like just questions or, or, or say customs or beliefs regarding reincarnation that are just really quite popular at yeah. times in tradition. You find many accounts of, remember like Oni Power talking about traveller women coming back um, as skulled crows or grey ponies and things like oh. this. So, it's popular, but it's interesting just 
sitting alongside Christianity or, or Catholic or Christian tradition or different branches of Christian tradition in this country that you have this at times a kind of offhand references whatever to ideas of reincarnation and and coming back in different in different um, guises or whatever as well that's all that notion but Linda May Ballard her article she mentions as well this idea of like trying to account for the existence of, of seals um, and she talks about the rebellion in heaven which is a common idea that ascribes the or that tries to explain the existence of the fairies, fairies and, yeah. and other enchanted or otherworldly spirits on earth um, it was like an attempt to kind of fit them into a Christian theological framework so Linda May writes she says well I heard a yarn it's the time of the rebellion in heaven and they were cast out and some fell on the land and some fell on the sea and the seal he's the one that fell in the sea so to explain there's the idea that this is something we posted online the other day that there was a rebellion in heaven that Lucifer either uh, goes into a room that God had and looks on the mirror of glory or sits mm -hmm. on the chair of glory that's kind of set up for the creator um, and then God gets very annoyed casts Lucifer out and casts out all of the angels that were siding with him um, and then somebody you, you'd think who says to God uh, stop now and so God relents and leaves those angels that were in the air or in the air those are on the land or on the land and in the sea or in the sea they stopped wherever they were basically mm -hmm. and so this attempts to explain um, I suppose not just the world of the fairies or the world of, of the liminal dead or whatever but in the sea that seals in particular are these essentially fallen angels that have been kind of trapped in the ocean basically exactly. so there's like another world liminal kind of community that are existing alongside us um, but again and again this is the same common thing that we see right that they're enchanted they're not ordinary creatures no no exactly they sit somewhere between animal and human and then uh somewhere in the in the supernatural as well mm. the other the nice thing about barbara's article on um seals and tradition and as far as narrative is concerned like you mentioned earlier on there um the human characteristics described like the seal that comes to wash itself mm -hmm. or the seal that the fisherman sees breaking up a fight among yous whatever yeah, yeah. that that from the perspective of like of our literature and narrative um that there are small anecdotal accounts brief accounts regarding seals and their behavior that suggest them as these other other world mm -hmm. creatures but that that goes from the anecdotes all the way up to these really formulaic legends that are in exactly. migratory legends international legends whatever of which there are a few kind of different types or main groupings that we'll look at so there's a whole corpus of belief from kind of snatches of remarks mm -hmm. and belief statements by by fishermen or by local communities up to these migratory legends that spread from country to country that, but they all emphasize the same thing exactly they work almost on a sliding scale, I like to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great, great way of putting it. So those are some of the kind of, I suppose, the, the, the really, I suppose, the anecdotal little accounts that you find. But then it's worth looking at, I suppose, moving up that sliding scale that you mentioned. A lot of the legends focus on the idea of, of transformation. Mm. And, yes. and we have, that's really um, common in Irish tradition, the idea that in particular women can transform themselves. Like all over the Midlands or all over Ireland, really, you have the idea of the... the the woman who changes herself into a hare mm. um, to steal her neighbor's profit or kind of particularly suckle the cattle and steal all the milk and yeah, so on. Exactly. Uh, and then there's a similar version of that legend called the wounded seal that we have in this country as well, yeah. right? Yeah. What's the, what's the, what happens with that? So the wounded seal, it is, it's very similar to the, the hare really. What happens is that uh, a fisherman might injure a seal, it might even be a group of fishermen, um, and then suddenly they find themselves um, 
either in the midst of a storm or uh, very unruly weather and maybe they might wash into a, an unknown place uh, they've never heard of before or never seen before uh, where they'll meet this person um, who will say, oh, um, actually, when you were inju- injured that seal before, that was actually me. That was me. <laughs> Would you mind not doing that again, yeah, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the common thing. Like, there's a good one. There's an example here um, from our archives, a translation of it here. And it says, um, long ago, it appears there came a time when the fish were very plentiful off the Irish coast here. They were so plentiful that they were being washed up on the strand, and at the same time there were no fish at all to be caught off the coast of Scotland or England. This enraged the Scottish people so much that their wise women turned themselves into seals and came over to the Irish coast to drive away the fish. Happens all the time. (laughs) There were a couple of men in the district who used to go around the place with forks gathering sea rack in the springtime. This is a kind of common thing. Seaweed was used as fertilizer or whatever. People would go into the sea and and, uh, harvest it. Uh, what should happen only that these seals were in among the submerged rocks at the water's edge underneath the seaweed one of these men struck the fork down through the seaweed as he thought himself and what did he do only stick it into the eye of one of the seals and away goes the seal with the fork stuck in him a few years after that these men were themselves fishing over off the coast of scotland they had boats that time which were something like the curragh we see on the shore today except they were made of boards on the inside and hair skin on the outside They used to rub fish oil on it so it would last and then it wouldn't let the water in. Well, one of these boats was fishing off the coast of Scotland, like I said, and one evening, when they were lying in the harbour, a couple of the men went off through the countryside for a bit of a walk. When they were going past the door of this house, what did one of them see? Only the fork he had lost on the strand a couple of years before that. He was more than surprised and he thought to himself that he would go inside and find out how his fork had got got to this place. When he put his head inside the door, there was an old woman sitting in the chimney corner with a piece of cloth wrapped round her eye. He took hold of the fork in his hand and he said, Where did you get this fork? It doesn't make much difference, said the old woman. And in any case, what do you know about it? Well, he said, it's like one I lost long ago beyond in Ireland, one that I got stuck in a seal. Oh, damnation, she said, taking a pot of steaming water off the fire and making a go for him. It was you that stuck the fork in me and let me sitting here since with my eye nearly hanging out. The man took to his heels as fast as he could, and he was glad that he did get away. They fled away a couple of days after that, and I'm telling you, he wasn't seen around the coast of Scotland from that day to the day he died, no doubt. No, so this is the this is the the kind of the 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 story that you see of the idea of transformation, basically that this animal isn't an animal; it's actually someone who's taken this this the shape. Form of a seal. Yeah, Do we have any other other versions of that? Have you come across in your own research that you found any other? I really like this version from, it's from the school's collection. Mm. Um, so it was collected sometime around 1937, 38. I found one account. I don't know. Is this the same? It one? might be the same one. It's one of the only ones in English, I think, a very complete one. Um, but I love how it starts and ends. Mm. Um. So this one says, years ago, seals were very plentiful around Rossbeg. Uh, this is in County Donegal, Rossbeg, mm. County Donegal. And the fish were getting so scarce that the, the fishermen resolved to kill all the seals they could lay their hands on. Mm. One particular day, they killed seven very large seals, but the eighth escaped uh, with a large spear stuck in its side. The fishermen carried on fishing, as usual that day, but in the evening, a dreadful storm rose and they were giving up all hope when they sighted a small island which they'd never seen before. So the story continues in a similar fashion to the yeah. the one um, the you just read, um, where they they walk in and they they find that 
this this man welcomes them and his son is in terrible pain because um mm. of the being wounded spear, by yes, the spear yeah the spear stuck, stuck in him um and again the fisherman does uh well no in this case the fisherman is more kindly and he takes Polite. out uh, takes out the spear and uh, the the seal is then healed but i love the way it ends then because it says that the storm settled down and the men got safely home but before leaving had to promise the old island man that they would never again kill a seal Hmm. this promise they strictly kept and since then a seal has never been killed uh, on the raspeg shore with the result that seals are more numerous on that coast than any other coast in ireland fish were also very plentiful around these parts and the old fisherman says that it's all due to their protection of the seals. That's amazing. Yeah, they that's, do a full 180. Yeah, on yeah, him. yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And that's from Donegal. Yes. I like this other account. So this is obviously a Donegal, an art specifically attached to, to or, or uh, found, collected in Donegal in particular. Uh, there, are, there are versions, I have versions from Galway and Donegal, but it doesn't seem to travel too much, too much further south. Too much further south, I which is really the, interesting. There's a, one, there's a small version of one, which I got from the school's collection, from Mayo, so maybe it goes yes, that far and, so. and kind of no further. Basically, it's just a brief, a brief account. It's not as, as nice as the one you have there. It says, one time a man was walking along the seashore and he seen a seal swimming out from the land. He took a stone and fired it at the seal and knocked out its eye. A couple of years afterwards, he was going along and he was going astray. He seen a light in a small old house and he made for the light. He went into it and there was no one in it but an old man with one eye. As soon as he went inside, the old man knew him. Do you remember the day you knocked out my eye? I have three sons, and if they were here, you'd not go home safe. Be going now, and you can say to yourself that you're very lucky, said the old man to him. So this is the same idea. But there's more of a kind of, what would you say? It's like, um, I suppose an idea that like to to treat the land or the natural landscape or the animals in it, or its inhabitants with respect, that you will likewise, your life will be fruitful and bountiful. Do you exactly, know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Um, and a lot of these narratives focus around the idea that someone is about to hit a seal, or that's mm. the next one we'll look at, where they're about to do a seal in, and it says, no, don't hit me, yes. or something. Yes. And then they never they never do again. Never whatever. again, and then it's lesson learned at that point. So there's a kind of, yeah, there's like a, a kind of allegorical aspect to these, where they're, they're suggesting ideal modes of behaviour, say, mm-hmm. um, for... Yeah, fishermen yeah. and national landscape, whatever. And also, that one that you read there is interesting because it kind of it has a comparison with you know the knife against the wave. Yes, yes. There's an element of that, um, found in that even the storm rising up and chasing them and then having to remove this thing. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. So there's a crossover. There's like this hybrid of different narratives that's appearing between legends of transformation and the knife against the wave. Which, um, do you want to explain the knife against the wave to people? Um, a, yeah, I can do. Uh, it doesn't really relate to seals. Uh, it can, actually. There's one, if you look at uh, some work done by Michal Ross, he actually went through and he identified a couple of versions that he, I think he calls seal redactions. Oh, yeah, I've but, seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I the think widow's he, son redaction and seal. So, he has different exactly, ones. Exactly. Yeah. He, he kind of has split them up into different, um, with via their different motifs, whatever motifs mm. come up. Um, but he has a couple about seals and I actually, I think that I found more then when looking through all the, oh, cool. the seal material. Um, and then, so yeah, you have this kind of split where some versions, they have an implement like you would in the knife against the wave mm-hmm. where, so the knife against the wave is, um, a, a maritime story where, um, fishermen are out on a boat and they're kind of, um, 
nearly swamped by one wave and then the, a second and then the third wave yeah. um, a, the fisherman or even his son throws sometimes a black handled knife yeah. uh, splits the wave and they're, they're saved they're Amazing. not drowned because of this yeah. um, but then later on uh, the, the man who threw the, the knife is called away um, to uh, another uh, another land maybe and um, he's he's told that he must take the knife from sometimes the eye or the head or, or chest, uh, or chest that, from stabbed his daughter basically. exactly yeah. yes yes so he has to kind of and it has to be him which is yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we also saw this in um, in the version that I read yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if I mentioned it but it had to be okay. the person who who injured who cast the, the knife or who who injured yeah. to to heal yeah um, so in that sense it's very similar to yeah yeah strange this kind of crossovers that people draw on and use mm. that's a lovely version i haven't seen that it's it's one of my favorite i always yeah. keep it at hand <laughs> um, never know when it's useful so yeah the wounded seal is the first of the narrative types that we come across mm-hmm. um but there aren't too many versions of it it's mm. quite rare is that yeah, fair to say i will when you really dig through and you look through some versions that may have been categorized elsewhere that's yeah sometimes the problem with categorization but yeah. i think i had just under 20. oh wow well, so that's way more than i thought more than it, there's i think that's what kind of come about oh that's amazing the work that i did oh, i didn't know there was that many at all yeah more than maybe originally thought but yeah that's um that's really interesting i had no idea that there was that many for say the next type to look at at the second narrative type concerns a seal who speaks yeah which i is, love this one it is lovely it's yeah. imaginatively titled the seal who speaks <laughs> um, and the idea the basic premise for this is that there's a seal who's about to be killed by a seal hunter that they have their arm raised to strike them mm-hmm. um, or hit them below with an oar or spear them or generally skewer maim them <laughs> or shoot them with a rifle from a boat and they they are suddenly kind of not reprimanded but the seal pleads with them yes and it's like um like they, they'll, they'll know the fisherman's name mm-hmm. and they'll say yes, Please, oh, don't shoot definitely. at me or sometimes say, hey, we're from the same family or something like this, right? So they'll, they'll know who the fisherman is, um, but the seal will speak and yes. generally then scare the living daylights out of the fisherman who doesn't kill them. I mean, who can blame them for being fairly surprised? This is true, unless you're having a psychotic break and hallucinating. Um, so there's an example here. This is collected in Rathlin Island again to go to Rathlin. A lot of these are around the north, so that, that kind of connection with Scotland. and, But... Um, it says here, this account, the old man certainly didn't like you to meddle with the seal, although I shot two, this guy puts in his note. I heard my grandfather tell a story about them, certainly. He said that like now, the seals were becoming very plentiful and going for all the fish, and they went out with a gun in the boat, and this old seal come, come up, and when he lifted the gun, this man, the seal lifted his paw, and he says, Donald, Donald, don't fire at me. It was an Irish, but it meant that. They said that was true enough that time. This is really common, mm. this, this kind of... Um, and there are examples of, of a, a guy coming upon a, a seal with like a litter of pups yes. and goes to kill her but doesn't. And then she says, no, I wait till I'm finished looking after my, my children. Did you is... find many other versions of that in, your, in the research you were doing? Um, yes, there are quite a few. And this one's quite popular, I think, all around the West Coast. Um, you find versions most, most places. Um, but I, I wanted to just draw your attention to this one because I think it's really interesting. This one is from a man named Bartley McDonagher. In this version, actually, the seal hunter doesn't listen. So when the mm. the, the seal, it's actually a baby seal who cries out this time. He says, no, no, so don't, don't hit me, Pachin. 
Um, but actually, the seal hunter doesn't listen, and he does unfortunately kill the young oh, seal. But what happens later is amazing. This the mother seal is then, um, kind of, crying and shouting, um, whenever she sees this particular seal hunter come to sea, and how does it? It ends with when he couldn't get out of the way in time. She grabbed him. She took him into her mouth, into the sea, and uh, his hands were in the air, and he was shouting, and nothing could could be done to save him. This is the man who who. This is the man who killed this poor mother seal's oh, baby man. baby seal. He experienced swift and violent retribution. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, dragged into the sea and drowned. Kicking and screaming, nice. <laughs> he died doing what he loved best. <laughs> there, there are other kind of accounts. This idea of like the seal who speaks. There's a reference here that yeah, these animals are times regarded as supernatural. And there's a circumstantial tale of a wounded, wounded seal crying to the assailant, spare your old grandfather, Darby O'Dowd, right? So that the fisherman is kind of, I suppose that they're suddenly faced with the idea that like all is not as it seems. And actually this, this kind of creature is really a human. The other thing, the important thing um, that, that Barbara notes is that there, the, 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 sometimes there are examples of narratives where um, the the seal is maybe brought back to a house. Did you see many of those? Yes. Somebody yeah. finds one. Yeah, exactly. Um, often, sometimes they have names. But this is the important thing about it, is that like, say somebody finds like a, 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 a pup, a seal pup, brings it home, and then that night they'll hear um, a, a kind of tumult outside the house and, and somebody was saying, Tyg, Tyg, where are you? Tyg. <laughs> and it's often in, in Munster, apparently the name Tyg was quite... Common, yeah. Common for seals. Exactly. Um, and Barbara notes then the importance of the idea that that these animals having a Christian name. Yes. And that they are named specifically that kind of that has this, um, I suppose, a human quality or human element mm-hmm. to them or something that we'd associate within the spiritual bounds of the community, basically, that they're, they're not nameless animals, yes, that they have exactly. specific names or whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's a common a common idea that, that they're, that somebody then comes and, and tries to get them, basically. Yes, me. Have to swiftly drop him back. <laughs> there's a piece here, um, and it's uh, it describes this collected from County Cork, and it describes it says one man one time a man caught a seal in the sea beside Trolligach. He brought the seal home with him, and he was alive. He put the seal into the kitchen. That night there was a man going across the strand, and he heard a voice speaking. The man continued on his way, and he went into a house on the other side of the strand. It was in this house that the seal was, and the man told his story to the man of the house. As soon as the seal heard the words, he spoke. That was Taig looking for me. They let the seal go, and they didn't hear that voice from that on. Yeah. Do you have any other versions of that that you, that you came across at all? Um, I ha- well, what I think is interesting also is not only are they named, but the sense of community is always really clear. That they stick up for each other and come exactly. after each other and don't, yeah. Exactly, and you know, in I've I've come across certain versions where it's, it's you know we're told that it's a, a mother looking for her pup i've come across a version where they're brothers tag and Danica are brothers and hmm. um, hmm. i don't have the reference on me but i'm certain there's one account where it's actually a group of seals that so the, the house ends up almost surrounded yeah um, that sounds familiar by uh, yeah the house is surrounded by a, a group of seals that are all calling out for this little seal that's uh it's kept in the kitchen there's there's an, an audio account i want to play here um that talks about this the idea of like nabul nabul mm-hmm. was something off it's like don't hit me don't hit me don't shoot me or whatever this sort of thing but this is an account 
um, collected in America in, in Holyoke in Massachusetts, Massachusetts in 1982 by Seamus O'Cohan and Leo Corduff. They went over there to do these recordings of, of people who'd left Ireland, specifically who left the area, I think that John Henry was from. We mm. mentioned John Henry yes, around Northwest Mayo. And they did these amazing recordings. But in this account, Seamus is talking to this man who's describing how the O'Cohan family were thought to be an enchanted mm-hmm. family attached to, to seals, the O'Kane family in English, basically. That they were somehow derived from a union between a mortal and a seal. Um, and so this man talks about that, how he doesn't really like it. Yeah, his name is John Kane, isn't it? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But he describes his mother had a song or something? Yes, yes. She had a song about how, about how as, as somebody is about to... Um, Bludgeon? <laughs> Is the word you're looking for? Um, kindly. Uh, dispatch. <laughs> kindly dispatch the seal. Um, when the seal actually talks to her and says, "Oh, you know, you don't must, hit me. You must uh, be aware." Cease and desist. <laughs> refrain. Okay, so this is John Keane. John Keane. Okay. John Keane. <laughs> but I, I'd like to get at the bottom of that, but I don't think I ever will. Did you ever hear stories about seals not being killed or not being... Uh, oh, no, wrong? you weren't supposed to touch them. No way, back in Norway. No, no. Did people kill them? They didn't kill them, no. No, they didn't kill There was laws of them back in Norway, so you were not supposed to hurt them or kill them. I don't know why. Did you ever hear stories about a seal that spoke? A man was going to hit it and the seal said, Nabu, Yes, I Nabu, did, Nabu, 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 or something like that. I heard that too. But uh, we heard those stories when we were little children, see. And uh, now, if you hadn't mentioned that, I w- yeah. it would never come to me again. What, what, what they, I mean, the people who had said that the Gorogiel ignacahani lishnaronte, the people who would say that now, um, would you answer them back, or would you would you get annoyed with them, or what? Or, or oh, I used to remember? get annoyed. I used to get yeah. annoyed. And yeah. it was a little fun of me to hear those stories. Yeah. And there was a story about. Um, a girl from Inneski who found a young seal on the rocks and uh, there was a song about that and my mother had a song in Gaelic and uh, she was going to take him home to have him for a pet this girl from Inneski but the roan or the seal talked to her and he told her if she did she would never go to heaven he had to go back again to the sea and so forth. They, those stories they made up, you know. There was a song about that. Yes, there was. And I, I had a few words of it. Was it a nice I song? never learned it. Nice air? It was a nice air and it was a bit tragic. It was like a, a tragedy song. Mm-hmm. The, the girl's name was Una. Something bad, whatever it was. That's all I know about it. But it was a good old Gilly song. My mother used to sing it a lot. My mother was a beautiful singer. When would you sing that, John? I mean, what, what sort of <coughs> occasions would you hear a well, song? Well, like say at night time, you know, we'd be around, the, everybody was in, collected in winter time, <coughs> at the fireside. First, we had to say the rosary. No doubt about that. The rosary had to be said in Irish or English? In Irish. And I've missed some of that too, because I haven't spoken I haven't spoken four words in Gaelic in fifty four years. See. And as I said before, all the Gaelic I got was mostly from my grandparents. That's such an amazing little piece. It just it just it just shows 
there's so he brings out so much in less than three minutes about like the social context the setting in which narratives were were, were recited like you mentioned winter time mm-hmm. that was them I mean, that's the common thing kind of that that you know stories were told in the winter or whatever the winter season um sitting around the fire the 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 rosary being recited first yes, yeah and yeah. then Seamus is just amazing kind of light touch way of collecting this just grab so much for the little details about was it in Irish was it in English and just and prompting him in a way this is something that you see in in the the handbook as well or in these collections that and it, it reiterates the fact from the point of view of the collector that the more you know about a topic that you go to collect on the better it is because you can then as Seamus does to John here in this piece you can kind of you can use these little prompts that that you don't necessarily have, remember from your own youth, but you know that they exist in tradition exactly. and that they'll then trigger, like he says, oh my God, oh yeah, I do remember that. And then he even has words in the song and, and different bits and pieces exactly. that he wouldn't have remembered at all, except for these these prompts that the folklore collector has, because if you have an overview or knowledge of tradition there, then you can keep these things in your back pocket or whatever. But it's such a lovely little piece. And, and I love his, um, his, his the sound of his voice, the accent as well, <laughs> where you have this... You can see there's there's this Amer- American accent coming through, but then there's still this Mayo, and yeah. the, and then the Irish is coming back to him. Yeah, exactly. As he's talking lovely. about. Um, but you were saying that while I was playing your time, that you found a f- few versions of that song. Uh, a couple of versions, and they're in, all in manuscripts or in the sound record. Or in like... the manus- no, all in the manuscript collection from here, and all from County Mayo. Amazing. What I find really interesting is that none of the versions really sound very similar. <laughs> The words. Um, or the words aren't very similar um, so I had a really difficult job trying to actually get some meaning out of it sometimes mm. um, his, the beginning of his is really quite clear um, a Colleen Cunningham the Alam Cunningham like, yeah remember yeah, your remember soul, your soul be, like, yeah. be, be aware of your soul you know? that you're going to you're not going to go to heaven if um, if you keep me here or whatever exactly it's yeah. funny even that idea like we mentioned you know, Linda May Ballard's article where she talks about the idea of the rebellion in heaven and that the seals are part of this liminal um, race for want of a better word who exists between heaven and hell waiting for the judgment day that was the thing he said about the fairies as well that yes. they can't get into heaven there's yeah. kind of this and then also the idea that the seal has to return to the sea that mm-hmm. they have to go you have to go back basically is, is, the, is the thing and so that's something that we find really commonly I suppose we'll talk about in the next the next account or next legend is it worth mentioning something excuse me at the start, we talked about the fact that certain families were considered to be enchanted. Yeah, and I was so interested to find that he was he, he wasn't very proud of this. Yeah, he didn't because, like it. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't. It wasn't a fan, um, because that is something that you do see sometimes. Is that it can be almost kind of used as an as an insult. An insult in, against in people. Certain, in certain contexts, I don't think it was always felt to be that way, but mm. um, for certain people, yes, it's. So there are certain certain sense. families where where basically believed to be the result of a union between a mortal and an enchanted seal. Exactly. Um, and it comes from several different areas. We'll come back to maybe one of them later on. Um, but maybe I'll read the more common name. So here we're talking about um, Keen or Cain, yeah, which yeah. is uh, uh, O'Cahan in, um, Irish, in yeah. Irish. But um, here there's more accounts about uh, the family, the Keneally family or O'Keneela. Um, or Machanila. Uh, they were as well. commonly associated with seals. With as well. seals, yeah. exactly, uh, particularly around the Connemara area. So this, um, I'll read out a little bit by 
a full-time folklore collector, Liam McCushla, mm. um, who's answering a questionnaire, actually, mm-hmm. who was sent out, that was sent out in 1939. Um, I think it was, it, it was sent out to help uh, David Thompson perfe- prepare for a, a, a BBC programme, as who's, far as I know. Who's David Thompson, so, sorry? David Thompson is a, a writer and yeah. a, a producer, but or was a writer and producer, um, and he had a long time interest in seals. He, hmm. His book um, his book is called The People of the Sea. Looks amazing. Yeah, I, I've never seen this. No, it's really, it's a really good read. He clearly was, had a, a wonderful memory and was very observant. Um, but Did he, he, was he Irish or? No, um, he's English, but he spent quite a lot of his childhood in Scotland, mm-hmm. which is where he kind of discovered this idea that seals, Were you know, could be people enchanted or uh, could be, um, related to people in some way and then he follows as he kind of the book follows um, his journey c- trying to find more about this because mm-hmm. he, he does then come to Ireland he meets Seamus O'Dellarga um, mm. who points him towards Kerry and uh, and then later he, he goes to Mayo as well and they he yeah he touches on there's so many things Amazing. that we've touched Jeez, on have, yeah 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 I've, um, I've never even in just even uh, in the book I think there's very similar stories to what we've touched on. It's great. It's a really wonderful read. Yeah, it, I, it, I'll put a link in the description in the sound card to this. I have to get a copy of this. Do, yeah. Yeah, yeah we have copies in the library as well. Cool. Um, yeah. So, sorry, th- this is the idea that where we're about um, e- families, families in particular. Yes. Being, being, so, you mentioned the Keneally's in Connemara. In Connemara and Liam yeah. Kushtla in this questionnaire in 1939, which was being prepared for this guy, David Thompson, for his research, is it? I, th- I think so. And What's I, the questionnaire on? What's our? Uh, it was on seals. And as far oh, as right. I know, it wasn't sent. It's not a very big questionnaire. So yeah. I, And all of the responses, I'm nearly certain, are all from full-time collectors. There might be one or two others. But I think it was only, maybe it was only sent to full-time collectors, which yeah, yeah. did happen. Um, so here, Liam Kushtla is kind of, he gives a wonderful summary on so many um, a lot of the things we've just touched on mm-hmm. so he says and it was originally in irish but I'll, I'll read the translation so stories about seals are very common in every coastal place i've ever visited um and he refers here to counties mayo galway and clare particularly mm-hmm. so the storytellers from all these places tell me that they that what they heard was that seals were people under an enchantment and according to many of them they should not be interfered with for that reason hmm. in connemara the Keneally family is associated with seals, but I've never found any accounts of other groups associated with them anywhere else. We hmm. do know there are other families, but um, Lee McCushla was not aware of that. Um, it's, it is said that you can sometimes hear seals talking together as if they were people, and when one dies or is killed, the others lament it. Hmm. Yeah, which is really interesting yes, that yeah. he's there at the end. Such... Like back to what we were saying earlier about the really human, human behaviour. They were referred to in some of the accounts in the Nineties groups as Christi, Christi, yes, that exactly. they're a Christian, that they're Christians who are under a spell, yeah. basically. Yeah, exactly. So, and um, other families. Um, other families that come up are Keneally's or Cahans. Um, uh, McRory in in the north, as far as I know. I actually had a lovely friend tell me recently when she heard I was doing this research. She said, "Oh yes." <laughs> uh, Somebody I used to know used to point at the seals and be like, oh, that's my family. That's gas. That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and I think I think also Oduda, which is O'Dowd, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then O'Shea, which this, are also connected true. to the mermaid, but they come up. This is seals the well. case. 
where I felt if you, yeah you're right sorry here's another bit Oduda O'Kahan O'Kneela O'Shea mm-hmm. as you said there mm-hmm. O'Hara's Keneally's Keynes O'Hara's in Sligo Gallagher's oh. in Donegal oh, O'Flaherty um, I've seen somewhere as well there was a reference as well to, to um, people in Moan that if a seal was killed the inhabitants of the town would suffer nosebleeds oh that there's like a sympathetic kind of effect that, that they'd, be, they'd be injured whatever um, but the idea I suppose of yeah, you have these references, I suppose, to naming, um, to the kind of the seal as a Christi, right, as, mm-hmm. as a Christian under a spell, that they're people, they mourn their dead, um, and that these other seals come to the house looking for them, for knocking on the door, yes. saying, yeah. come on, Tyg and Dunnock, like they have to come home or whatever. And that has a certain resonance, like Barbara draws parallels in her article with a couple of other popular narratives, The King of the Cats. Yes. And, yeah. Or the fairy hill is on fire, yeah. uh, which are pointed back to the origins of the Pan legend. Mm-hmm. So the basic, I suppose, idea of the King of the Cats is a brief kind of synopsis. Um, a man is out walking at night. He meets a weird cat that says, when you go home, tell your cats that the King of the Cats is dead. Yes. Or, or tell your wife the King of the Cats is dead. Yes. I don't think it says address the cats specifically, <laughs> but this cat speaks to him. So he naturally goes home mm-hmm. and he says to his wife, uh, the weirdest thing happened. I met this giant weird cat out at night at a crossroads. Says, and she's, and darling, have you been on the drink You're again? hallucinating <laughs> again, darling. And uh, the cat said to me, the king of the cats is dead. At which point their own cat in the house springs up and is like, ah, good grief, and runs out the door. <laughs> yes. This is a very, very common legend. The king of the cats is dead. Uh, another kind of variant or say connected maybe version of that, if not quite a variant of it, is or where that same motif appears, at least in a different legend, is told in connection with the fairies. Um, the idea of the fairy hill is on fire. Mm-hmm. And this is often used in, in the context of the changeling, the idea of a child who's been stolen and replaced with this wizened old kind of um, <laughs> creature where your own darling baby used to be or whatever. And now you have to somehow get rid of this thing. And after all these different attempts, um, which fail, it's revealed that somebody comes in uh, knows that this is that this changing is in fact a fairy it's not a mortal baby and says the fairy hill is on fire mm-hmm. at which point the changing gets up and exclaims oh my god and and runs yes. off and then you know the, the other child is, is kind of it's thrown back and is returned yeah and interestingly this is apparently the, the earlier kind of der- uh, versions of this are found in the pan legend and uh, so-called pan legend of classical literature so you have the, these, the same motif. So I'll read out just an account for people as well, to just because it's worth tracing, you know, these ideas that we're talking about, transformation legends and legend ideas around the other world and the natural landscape that stretch from Ireland up to Iceland and the Baltic regions, Germanic regions, Nordic regions, Celtic regions, and then into Greek and Latin classical literature as well. This is the Pan legend. It's just a kind of a synopsis of it. Um, this describes basically a, 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 an account where somebody is told on a boat to say that it, that Pan, the god Pan, um, has has died, basically. So, it says here, The father of Amelianus, the orator, to whom some of you have listened, was Epitherses, who lived in our town and was my teacher in grammar. He said that once upon a time in making a voyage to Italy, he embarked on a ship carrying freight and many passengers. It was already evening when, near the Echinades Islands, the wind dropped and the ship drifted near Paxi. Almost everybody was awake, and a good many had not finished their after-dinner wine. Nice. Suddenly, from the island of Paxi was heard the voice of someone loudly calling Thamus, so that all were amazed. 
Thamus was an Egyptian pilot, not known by name, even to many on board. Twice he was called and made no reply, but the third time he answered, and the caller, raising his voice, said, When you come opposite Pelodes, announce that Great Pan is dead. On hearing this, all, said Epistherses, were astounded and reasoned among themselves whether it were better to carry out the order or to refuse to meddle and let the matter go. Under the circumstances, Thamus made up his mind that if there should be a breeze, he would sail past and keep quiet. But with no wind and a smooth sea about the place, he would announce what he had heard. So when he came opposite Pallades and there was neither wind nor wave, Thamus from the stern, looking toward the land, said the words as he had heard them, Great Pan is dead. Even before he had finished, there was a great cry of lamentation, not of one person, but of many, mingled with exclamations of amazement. As many persons were on the vessel, the story was soon spread abroad in Rome, and Thamus was sent for by Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius became so convinced of the truth of the story that he caused an inquiry and investigation to be made about Pan, and the scholars, who were numerous at his court, conjectured that he was the son born of Hermes and Penelope. Amazing from account from classical literature of this this I suppose the the, the motif that you find condensed then into very localized narratives mm-hmm. regarding um, these other world communities, either of seals or more specifically, suppose the idea of the king of the cats, yes. uh, or the fairy hill is on fire. But again, these these motifs maybe that find expression time and again and time and again, but that trace it back from the local to the international. Exactly. Yeah. There is a no, there's one version of this I found, of this kind of king of the cats, fairy hills on fire type oh, thing. Okay, wonderful. In the schools collection, you've probably seen this. I don't know. Once upon a time, a man caught a mermaid and he took her home and left her on the dresser and fed her every day. One night, some men went out to fish and they caught a seal. They took it home and threw it on the floor. The mermaid leapt down from the dresser and she said that was her brother's seal. So he went out crying and was never seen again. Yes. This, yes. It's just this small, a brief account, but it ties in some of, the, some of those ideas. I haven't really mentioned this, um, but... A lot of these accounts that we're looking at regarding seals, there are many more regarding mermaids. Yes, many, many more. When is a mermaid not a seal? What's the, <laughs> what's the story there? This is interesting. This is something I think many people would find quite surprising. Um, anybody who's maybe familiar with the word selkie yeah, might, yeah, yeah. might know this kind of narrative of uh, a man who uh, sees uh, one woman or maybe more women um, down by the beach and um, their seal skins have been kind of left, cast aside cast aside left um, and he, he takes one and then the the woman then has to follow him home and says yeah. um, well, please can I have my my skin back so I can return to the sea to be with my seal family and um, he kind of refuses so she marries him and and so on and so forth but in fact this the even the word selkie, mm. I haven't come across in Irish in tradition, Irish tradition no, at all. You don't find it appears it. to be um, a word used by our neighbours over in Scotland. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And uh, exactly is what how we usually refer to the mermaid, which is the figure that we usually see. What is the mermaid? So the mermaid is a uh, a woman who often might sit on rocks. She'll have uh, the bottom half of a fish, a fish tail. And um, she might be seen combing her hair. She might be seen singing. Yeah. Um, the older world woman be... image of the combing her hair kind of. And so this idea of like the half fish, half woman, the classical thing that you know from popular culture. Mm-hmm. That existed in Irish tradition. 
It does. There's a lot. There's a popular belief it, it, there, or or accounts thereof, like more so than seal woman in particular. So many more. Yes. Yeah. yeah right. It's it's more popular even than seals. It's why I decided for the thesis to stick to the seal stories. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> I would yeah. have had too much to deal with. Um, but that basic narrative that that brings us neat to that's because we at the start of this we were talking about the different strands of, of narrative that you find regarding seals or of other world belief in general that often start with the anecdotal that mm. then go up this sliding scale that you mentioned and I steal that and use that forever <laughs> up to the level of these more formulaic narratives and I suppose this one is probably the end of that sliding scale yes. I prefer to say yes ML 4080 migratory legend 4080 mm-hmm. the, um, the seal woman the seal woman which you've given a, a synopsis there and this idea of a migratory legend is one that migrates naturally from mm-hmm. country to country place to place and it explains it tells the story of a union between a mortal man and a seal in human form so there are like you were saying many versions that relate to the mermaid but less that relate to to the that describe it as as a seal exactly um, i think I mean, we have we have loads of versions of this that we can accounts that we can go through or, or, or describe for people um but like you were saying as well that the basic premise is that that this woman has her seal skin cast aside, or sometimes it's described as just like a shawl or a hood and stuff yeah, like this. Yeah, here it's often a, a, a cuckle, a, a hood, yeah. or a capine, a cap. Yeah, right. Um, also, I think um, a cloak, a cloak as well. Yeah. And exactly. and she and then this guy takes it, and she kind of forgets at times that she's a seal as well, doesn't she? Has she marries him and has children, but she doesn't remember or something? Does that ever? Uh, I'm sure it does. I'm not as familiar with the. the What's the general thing that that she she knows that she used to be sealed, but she can't. She just is powerless. Yeah, exactly. She's kind of trapped, and she can't return without this whatever this garment is, whether it's a cloak or a, yeah. a tail in some cases as well. But. And at the end of these, then in each of the instances, she finds the the cloak and then abandons her husband and abandons her children. Often, she always yes. she always yes. leaves. So it's like it's. It's a kind of it's a narrative of like I don't know a certain type of there's a there's a, a dark aspect to it where mm. but it's really interesting that since that uh, that she she leaves and returns to the sea, um, yes. when yeah. she reclaims her original form basically exactly into, and almost always I I'm nearly certain I don't I haven't done a full survey on the mermaid story but um I think she always returns to the sea. There's yeah. no question of it. Yeah, really. yeah. It's never Once kind she, of happily ever after. She's, yes, she's no, gone. Exactly. Um, and this accounts then for some of the unions or some of the, the seal people, the families and so on, are said to have been descendants mm. of these of these unions. Exactly. This is a piece from Kerry, 1948. The translation, it says, There was a man in Machara and he was down at the sea one night looking for seaweed together. And he saw a seal and he caught the seal. And he took the seal home with him, alive. When he saw her, she was sitting on a rock as a woman. She had a cloak beside her and she was combing her hair. He crept up on her when she was combing her hair and he snatched the cloak and took it with him. Like he kind of kidnapped her in these instances, essentially, Often, and then yes, keeps her prisoner. Yeah. And she had to follow the cloak, so she came after him to his house. He came inside and threw the cloak in the back of the loft as far as he could. She stayed there with him and she spent some years there and they had children. And the children's feet were webbed like the foot of a goose or a duck. Mm. There were no spaces between the toes. The toes were stretched out. If what they say is true, and between them was all closed over, up to the very tops. She had a few children by him, and she spent several years there and was very hard working. Anyway, there came one particular day when he had to put oats or something up on the loft. He went up on the loft for the first time in so many years, and he was throwing down old things that were up there. And with all the throwing down, he threw down the cloak. She spotted the cloak, and she got up and grabbed it and put it under her on the chair. He went out then to bring the oats in. 
when he was go when he was gone out she shook the cloak and hid it or sorry when he was gone out she took the cloak and hid it and when it was coming on for evening she brushed her children's hair sorry and when it was coming on for evening she brushed her children's hair and cleaned and tidied them then she threw then she threw the cloak on herself and made off down the shore and nobody ever saw her again it's really there's something so i don't know is it poignant or something strange? That little note at the end, you know, that she kind of brushes their hair yeah. and cleans and tidies them, but she leaves. Yes. And she never tries to, tries to take the children with her. No. Um, she's, she's just, that's it, she's gone. Exactly. And I think the interest, there's one, this version has an interesting idea that we sometimes see in Southern versions, I believe, um, where it's his own carelessness that uh, reveals the, the cloak. Yeah, Because right. he's kind of throwing things everywhere and not really paying attention yeah. to what falls where. And um, that's kind of his own fault, which is, um, it's interesting. What are the other versions where it's not his carelessness that... Uh, sometimes uh, it can be the children themselves. It's oh, like, yeah, they, oh, they just, they're like, oh, did you see dad yeah, doing this dad, with the oats? Like, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, this cloak. And she's like... <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> Her yes, ears yes. prick up immediately. She's like, what did you say? Where is it? <sighs> it's so cool. Yes, very interesting. Yeah, it really is. It's such a human story, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I always think it's no surprise that this story is just recreated again and again in uh in literature why in why do you think it is i think it's just because it's it's just so human there's so many things that are understandable for anybody you know, kind of like of, of say difficult say a desire to escape mm-hmm. relationships or domesticity or, exactly, or yeah. feeling trapped or this sort of stuff and the idea of you know power and control yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, the yeah. idea of um children abandoning children yeah and um that is really interesting but that is, I mean, there are hundreds of versions of this. Yes, yes. I think over 300. Apparently, wrong, yeah, but I, yeah, I do yeah. think so. Um, and then in some instances, there's, like, you found a really nice piece in the Sound Archive about the Dowd Stones, mm. that this, this woman who leaves curses the family. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So we're returning here to another, another idea, as we had with the seals, that certain families are associated with other world beings or the world... Um, aquatic beings in this sense so yeah this one is about the Dowd uh, family this one was collected by Leo Cordoff from who was this collected from I think Patrick Killing is his name Patrick Killing so when I first heard this I just assumed it was a woman but now because it's like a high pitched voice yes, but I think exactly. it is a man yeah I think so too this is Leo Cordoff and this piece describes the Dowd stones which we have photographs of if you yes. go to duchess.ie Do. and type in Dowd stones you'll see pictures of them um, and this is the mermaid who marries a man and then she gets her, her is restored mm-hmm. to her original form and she leaves and she turns her children to stone. The stone before she leaves, exactly. As you do. Um, and yes, those pictures are beautiful. They're taken by Barbara Neelan. Barbara, yeah, they are lovely because you have pictures of Barbara with her infant yeah, daughter. I forget, yeah. I don't know, I'm not sure who, but they're really, really nice photographs. Anyway. Beautiful. When you were down around Scormore or around there, there's a, there's a hotel there, the Scormore Hotel. No, I've never been there. When there is the Scormore Gut, it runs up by the side of the Moai for about two miles. The tide comes in, runs up and runs out again. There's a little river running into it. At the top of that gut, the Dowds had their fortress. Yes. And where, where the room of the fortress is, there are seven stones on it, seven big lumps of stone rock. And they're called the Mermaid's Children. And the story is that Odell 
got up one morning and went out and found a mermaid asleep on the banks of the Moy and her Kylie and Kaurach, that's the, her swimming her swimming trunks. Yeah. What do you call it again? Kylie and Kaurach. Some distance away from her. So he took this Kahlian Kolach and refused to give it to her and forced her to stay with him and marry him. Uh, he, every he, he, it was harvest time, early in harvest time, and they, they were going to get in all the oats and barley and that sort of thing and stack it. But uh, he got a stack built and he put this Kahlian Kolach in the stack of oats and built it up. And uh, every harvest, he he left one stack there, that, that stack there, and never removed it until the next harvest. And he he take the oats from the the old stack and put it into a new stack. And uh, eventually, they had a family, seven, seven children, boys and girls. And uh, one harvest, they were building the stack, and one of the young lads saw this kahalian kaulach being put into the stack. And. Uh, he went to his mother and he told him that he saw grand and daddy putting a, taking a grand looking thing that was shining out of one stack and putting it into another stack and uh, when he come out she said and show me the stack <laughs> so so he went out and showed her the stack and she said nothing about it until she got out down away from home and she knocked down the stack and talked to Kylie and Cole and went off to say again but before she went she turned the seven children into seven stones and they're called the mermaid's children and the seven stones are there? Yeah. yeah. This is at, at the goat? At yeah, the at the goat. top of the goat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Near, the, near the hotel. There's a hotel there now. So amazing. And even that piece there, which is more like deceptive, you know, that the man is taking it from one stack of oats to the next and hiding it. Exactly. But like, it's the children that say, that pointed out to her. Yes, exactly. Um, it's really interesting, actually, I might mention the article by Boamquist mm, on the really, mermaid. Really yeah. I think it's fascinating for anybody who's interested into how um, writers and poets draw on folk, folk tradition. tradition. Um, because he goes through, he takes two poems by um, uh, Seamus Heaney and one by Seamus Heaney and one by Nuala Nigono. Mm. And he can pull apart, which is amazing really, he can pick out all the motifs that they include in their own poems to be able to kind of compare them to the the material that we would have here and what that meant for you know what region their inspiration may have come from hmm. and working backwards that way I that's, think it's really yeah really it is a fantastic article yeah. i'll put that i'll put a link of readings that's available online through anyone who has mm. jstor because it's published in Bella, the, the first, journal of the folklore yeah. society um but it's such a dark and interesting narrative it's amazing you have something that you wanted to, to yeah to cover i wanted there. to point out just another version um there's if anybody while you're looking on on while you're looking at the images uh, of the dead stones on Duchas, do um look for maybe the word the second name glavin uh, or even seal and then uh look in cork because there's this really wonderful just cluster i'd mm. say maybe seven or eight or maybe five or six um, narratives that talk about how uh, a man named Glavin or uh, O'Glavon um, uh, was out and he meets a mermaid, similar to uh, O'Dowd in the story we just heard. But um, this woman tells him that she will marry him, but she, she places, she names three things that he must not do. 
Um, and one of them is that he must not kill a seal. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, he does not listen. Typical. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when the wife sees the, the, the seal, the, the dead seal that he's, he's caught, she, um, she kneels down and she kind of takes the seal's paws and she starts lamenting, oh, this is my brother's seal. Hmm. And um, then, as in the story we just heard, she kisses all her five children and went back to the place. Hmm. she came from so on account of him breaking this taboo yes exactly he breaks the rules he gave her didn't have to do one thing yes one thing useless <laughs> or sometimes three things but still <laughs> and that's there's a little cluster of those in Cork yes yes exactly there's there's more versions like this other places but I think the Cork version often brings up seals mm-hmm. oh, specifically seals specifically and then she, and then seals, she, she exactly. leaves when this taboo is broken it's an amazing topic um, there's, there's so much around like ideas around I don't know, facing the natural landscape, control, survival, reality, appearance, the other world, the natural world, the supernatural world, like, what would you say, enchanted humans or enchanted races of people. There's just such a strange perception rooted in the natural landscape or or these ideas that all is not as it seems, Mm. basically, and that the, I suppose, the animals with which we share our time here in the natural landscape are enchanted in their own ways or that they mm. have more of a connection to us than we might fully realise exactly. and that our behaviour is often marked by by taboos that you can be there's retribution mm-hmm. for for a sort of poor poor treatment or behaviour of the natural landscape or its inhabitants and likewise there can be benefits and, mm-hmm. and rewards as well okay. um, I want to read before we finish just here a, a, a note from um, Barbara D. Lynn which I think it sums this up nicely mm-hmm. Um, in her article again on this topic that we've been been kind of carrying on on through um, she says mention of metaphor and symbolism brings us conveniently back to the comments made at the beginning of this article regarding the relationship between mankind and the environment briefly it should be said that one of the most important things to realize about Irish seal traditions is that they are ultimately true or at least that they have a truth of their own albeit not necessarily in a literal sense in their own way, the beliefs and stories can be seen to reflect an infinitely more refined and sophisticated understanding of the delicate balance which exists between mankind and the natural environment and of man's place in the overall scheme of nature than we find in what would usually be regarded as more advanced systems of belief. As such, the legends and beliefs still have much to offer us. I think it's a fantastic point mm-hmm. because it shows this whole, like you said at the start, geographical, etiological, psychological, spiritual um understandings of and and relations to and around the natural landscape but we will leave it there i think um thanks so much alba for for coming in and sharing your research it's amazing all the work that you've done this is available on online isn't it it's not yet available online it will be soon i really hope so so um didn't you do a a blog post or something for culture or for heritage week or something like yeah exactly you can have a look on the um UCD Cultural Heritage, Heritage blog. The, the blog I'll put a link up all this will go into the description in the SoundCloud and there's going to be you've worked on this and the content is, is ready to go I think exactly. a website yeah. of all the material you transcribed which mm-hmm. is amazing and then you translate it lo- yes. loads of it as well so Lots there's a huge of body of work yeah. that you've done and it's amazing the stuff that you found it really incredible I enjoyed it so much it's really I mean you've heard it but uh, it's interesting mm-hmm. stuff so yeah. it was wonderful to work with it but yeah exactly all that material is ready to go um, and we want to put it online so you'll be able to kind of use an interactive map to be able to oh, zoom in and look great, at great, great. 
various cool. stories. Look forward to that. Yeah. Um, thanks for being And um, yes, you should be dragged on again, kicking and screaming, no <laughs> doubt, for me. more discussions of the same. And um, to everyone out there, hope all is well. We will be back soon. And either Shagashin, Slan. Slan.